Do you love Dungeons and Dragons? How about superheroes? Well, we love both, so it was only a matter of time before we combined them. Join us on our bi-weekly Dungeons and Dragons actual play podcast called Vigilantes and Villains. We are playtesting our upcoming Kickstarter product that brings the superhero comic book feel to your D&D table using the 5th edition rule set. Head on over to youtube.com slash c slash Criticademy and follow along as our heroes learn and develop their powers and try to save Cobalt City. Hello and welcome, heroes, to the Crit Academy. I am your host, Justin. And I'm your guest, James Intracasso. Uh, We hope to inspire you with creative content that you can bring with you on your next adventure. That's right. Yeah. Um, We want to thank everyone for joining us today here at Crit Academy Studios, where everything's made up and your roles don't matter. Yeah, that's right. Your roles are like a beholder without eyes. They can't need those. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> just a little bit. Oh, man. Would it just uh, be like I... a little, like, floating tentacle monster? Is that really all it is by that point? <laughs> or a ball. Yeah, yeah. I... Floating around, bumping into stuff like a Roomba. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I wanna, I'm so excited for today's episode. James, I've, as I mentioned previously before we started, I am a huge fan of yours, and I am honored to have you on the show. Thank you for joining us. Uh, it really means a lot. I'm excited to talk about this stuff. So. Oh, that is so uh, very kind. I'm a big fan of Crit Academy, and it's very exciting to be here. So thank you for having me uh, from one noticed. fan to another. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get all teary-eyed and emotional. Um, so uh, I'm really excited for today's episode. We're going to be talking about one of your latest projects, My Dad's Monster Manual. Um, this this thing knocked me out of the park when I first uh, picked it up, and I was just like, I want to cover this on the show, and I was going to... Try at least reach out to see if you'd be willing to come on, so thank you for that. Before we get into the main topic, we like to start off every episode on a high note, and we do that by giving away Fat Loot's compliments of our sponsors. Yeah, and our first gift today is from Compliments of Loresmith, the Modular Dungeon Tiles, the Arcania set. Now, the Arcania Digital Tile Set lets you make dark, shadowy dungeon maps rich with the fumes of arcane secrets. Now... Normally, I'd say there's this in the wall, but however, the monsters are a bit different this time around. So yeah. maybe you might see Thongthor in one of the walls. <laughs> the however, you might run into this literal monstrosity that is the Stratonian. <laughs> Which, if you don't that. know what the Stratonian is, it's, it was a Lemure. It is no longer that, and it is uh, a Titan. <laughs> Yeah. monstrosity who is our oh, winner today uh, but our winner today is uh black mages 2651 congratulations buddy but if you didn't win no problem head to critacademy.com and subscribe for your chance to win absolutely we always have winners here now we just didn't win yet 
Right. <laughs> there you go. Everybody's That's everybody's right. just a winner in the future. That's what it is. Exactly. Except for those who have already won. You're a current I, winner. Well, I then you're a current winner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so, as I said before, I'm super stoked to cover this project. I've been a fan of yours for a while. So, James, for those that are new to the show, can you tell them a little bit about yourself um, and, and what you do in Dungeons & Dragons world, in tabletop world? Yeah, so uh, I'm James Intracasso, and starting tomorrow, I am going to be a full-time game designer with uh, MCDM, which is Matt Colville's uh, production company. Nice. Uh, but before that, uh, awesome. I was freelance and doing it on my own. I've worked with Wizards of the Coast and Roll20 and Cobalt Press uh, and D&D oh, yeah. Beyond and, uh, uh, and MCDM and a bunch of other companies. Uh, <laughs> Critical busy. Role. I've that's worked a, with them. I was going to say, that's <laughs> quite a portfolio. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah. It's been a wild seven years, uh, So, which is when I sort of started uh, doing all of this. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's really, really great. Uh, and I basically write and produce games. Uh, a lot of it is 5th edition D&D content, uh, and then sometimes uh, for other games as well. I just love role-playing games like i will play basically any role-playing game if if you ask me to <laughs> fair enough, <laughs> fair is, enough. is yeah. there a uh, so was this a, a a journey that you you know decided you were going to be a part of or is it just something that you kind of stumbled in because you i did one thing and i really loved it and now i'm going to do it again and it just you know perpetuated or did you go into it with the idea of being like a game designer so I definitely went into it uh, not with the idea of being a game designer. I, I kind of went into it uh, <laughs> as a podcaster first. Um, so uh, so I had a podcast for a while called The Roundtable um, uh, that uh, was on the Tome Show Network, um, which is a long-running D&D chat show. Um, and when I was asked to do it, I was like, oh, I should have something else that I can direct people to. And so I started a blog and I had always wanted to, you know, it's like one of those things, like I always wanted to do this, but I wasn't sure how to get into it or whatever. Mm -hmm. And the blog mm -hmm. sort of spun off. And from the blog, I met other people. I worked on my game design skills because I had to have updates. Right. And, uh, mm -hmm. and that right. led me then to other jobs. Um, uh, but I would say I was blogging for two years before I got any other kind of job, I applied to some places and got a lot of rejections uh, before then. So, um, okay. so yeah, it wasn't a thing that I planned on, but when I started doing the blog, I really liked it. And I thought, well, maybe, maybe somebody's got to do it. Why yeah. not me? Um, <laughs> right. So right. No, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Wonderful. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, what's your most what's memorable D&D moment? I'm sure you have plenty, Ooh. but you know. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, so I, not counting uh, embarrassments because I think we all remember those. Uh, yeah, I'm sure that's not that's what fair. people want to hear about the the time I made a bad call as a DM, right? Um, right, I, right, right. That, that's the next question. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> right, exactly, exactly. Uh, I can remember some uh, some really great things, but I do remember a character uh, asking me if he could upcast heat metal so they were fighting the tarask on a giant metal boat ah. uh, and i remember him asking me if he could upcast heat metal to heat the entire boat uh and i was like well yeah i guess if you can cast it as a level nine spell and it led to some really cool stuff where 
you know, it started to heat the boat and the Tarrasque then melted through the floor. And then there was a prismatic wall underneath that the Tarrasque fell through. Um, But then also the ship is sinking and now you're going to be in the water with the Tarrasque and stuff like that. Uh, So it ended up being this like very dramatic battle um, all because I let somebody break the rules. Um, So yeah, yeah, it's a a fun moment for me. (laughs) All right, Kevin. There, there's certainly more like guidelines than rules for yeah. sure. Right. Definitely. Um, <laughs> does that tie in any way, shape, or form to your uh, to your adventure that you release? <laughs> uh, yeah. So I I am a big fan <laughs> of the Tarask, uh, and I think we should do more with the Tarask. So uh, in fact, Rhyme of the Frost Maiden just came out, and there's some there's a there are some choice Tarask moments in that book. Um, but uh, okay. but yeah. So I released a a product on the dms guild called invasion from the planet of tarasks is that what you're talking about yes Um, sir (laughs) uh and so that is an adventure for level 20 characters where you fight multiple tarasks um and they've all been modified because i you know i think we all agree the fifth edition tarask could use a little beefing up right it's not it's not powerful enough Mm -hmm. needs to needs to be doing more destruction uh, and stuff like that so that's where it comes and that'd be so we can get things that fly (laughs) yes <laughs> right right exactly exactly yeah that's all all tarasks can th- hurl debris right because all tarasks create debris so they can pick up a handful and they can throw it at you and and if they hit you with it they knock you prone which is really bad if you're flying uh in debris. right so yeah, <laughs> yeah. <Splat>. <laughs> <laughs> turn into a splattered pile of goo exactly. <laughs> shotgun a house at you <laughs> yeah, definitely yeah. so we took titan. it from not being able <laughs> from attack on titan right yes <laughs> All right. That's pretty good. Pretty good. For our next question, kind of in the similar vein as the last one, do you have a moment where you feel you failed as a DM or a player? And if so, what happened? What did you learn from it? Yeah, so that's a great question. Um, for me, I think the there was a moment where uh where I failed um as a DM uh in uh, so I was playing fourth edition D D and it was uh battle against Orcus, right? Like We'd gone through this whole two-year campaign, level 30, fighting Orcus, um, and there was this crystal that was lodged in the wall, and fourth edition had these things called skill challenges, which was basically make a bunch of skill checks. We'll tally up all the wins and loses and see how you do, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, and I had a... It was a sentient crystal, and I had a friend who really wanted to try to intimidate the crystal. Um, and I was like, no, you can't intimidate a crystal. That's ridiculous. Right. Uh, and then, you know, we finished up, but I felt really bad about that moment because then it was kind of this slog of like, well, they just kept doing the one thing they knew that worked to break the crystal and it didn't feel very epic and it didn't feel very exciting. And I kind of wish I had said yes, because, you know, and maybe set a very high DC because that's epic. That's epic to be right. in like an epic mental struggle with an evil crystal that is draining life from the goddess of death and everything. Um, and mm-hmm. so, and who knows what then they would have tried after right. if I had also said yes to that, right? right. Um, yeah. And so, uh, so yeah, I kind of wish I'd let let the dice decide. And I think that's really what I learned is that uh, the more that I can. <laughs> If anything is remotely possible, I still say no sometimes, right? There are still times mm-hmm. where it's just oh, yeah, there's ridiculous. Still, yeah. 
Yeah, it's just even in a world of magic, you're like, ah, I'm not so sure about that one, Chief. <laughs> right, yeah. right, exactly, exactly. But if the player is willing to risk their character and like put that risk on the line, then I want it to happen because it's going to be cool if it happens, and it's also going to be really cool if they fail. It's going to be a great story right. either way. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah, and that's I think that's something that a lot of people go through where they they like, man, if I would have just went with it this could have been so much bigger and more not so anticlimactic so mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, i'm actually you. like just starting to dm so like it's i definitely feel that where it's like sometimes i'm just like like it, it makes sense to like in in like a very real sense it's like no this doesn't make any sense at all i'm not i shouldn't let you do that but it's like but this is a world of fantasy so I want to see what happens <laughs> if this does work. <laughs> it is a balancing act. There's no right. question about that. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. So yeah. with all the, the housekeeping and the fun stuff that we like to get, we really like to get into know the, the, the guests a lot, but you're really here to talk about my dad's man- monster manual. So can you tell us a little bit about it and really how it kind of came to be? Oh, yeah, definitely. So my dad's monster manual is a uh, an idea that came from a Twitter joke. Um, so I was at, <laughs> uh, back when you used to be able to see your family, um, I was at a <laughs> Christmas Eve dinner with my folks. Um, and, uh, and this was in uh, 2019. We were having dinner together. Uh, and my dad, we were telling, my siblings and I were telling all these stories about like how kind of ridiculous and and a typical weird dad that my dad is right um and uh and so i thought like oh this would be really funny i have access to all the art in the monster manual right like if i showed him these things and asked him what do you think of these right like what do you think of this these different pictures in D D? uh and i tweeted that out as like what if i took the art of the monsters in the monster manual just the art and showed those to my dad um, and then asked him to come up with a name and lore and abilities for these creatures. And then I rewrote the stat blocks. Uh, (laughs) That would be like a funny book. And I called it my dad's monster manual. Right. Uh, And it Mm -hmm. was the, uh, at the time it was the tweet that I like had the most engagement ever for me (laughs) Um, after I tweeted it. So I thought, Oh, I should do this. And I remember at the end of the night, when I was leaving, asking my dad if he would, um, you know, if he was down to do it. And he said, yeah, he would love to do that. Um, and so then we did. Uh, we started, you know, meeting. I uh, recorded our sessions and stuff. And that's uh, how the book came to be. Yeah. So we would sit for like two hours at a time, go through, you know, like 40 monsters. And he would just look at the art and come up with a, a story about it. Uh, and then I would take that information and write it up like an entry for the monster manual. Um, nice. And then we... We play tested it. We, you know, I really wanted the monsters to be something you could actually use at the table, mm-hmm. um, and so that's a big part of it. Is uh, is these are these are play tested monsters, and like, m- I would say about ninety percent of them are not a dad joke, um, uh, which is <laughs> yeah, uh, which is what most people expect. They expect it to be like you know. Um, you know, it'll be like horn guy and, uh, you know, yeah, uh, yeah like devil man and things like that. Um, <laughs> yeah. And uh, that's kind of what I expected going into it. And it, it's not at all. He really like took it very seriously. Uh, but I think the book is better for it because people can actually use it now. And there's 
Mm-hmm. Uh, like there's quotes from my dad throughout the book. So if you're looking for a laugh, mm-hmm. um, there's still I, plenty I, of, of laughs. Oh, yeah. oh, I, I, oh the, gosh, my, yes. the one, because I, I, I really oh, like the Donifer, oh, gosh, yes. is, uh, oh, this is Donifer. He wants to build his own separate hell. <laughs> I was just like, cool. <laughs> I'm in. <laughs> I think that was one of your, uh, one of the, my favorite um, additions to the book was the quotes. Um, because yes. you can you can see uh, a genuine. I'm not sure what these are supposed to do, but here's exactly what I think, and it it's exactly what you'd expect from somebody that didn't really know what that stuff is, and it's a lot of it is just it entertained me so much to read, mm-hmm. um, and I thought that that was it. Really felt like a a great way to. Not only you know spend time with spend time with your dad, but you've kind of immortalized him in one of your products, and yeah, I just think sure. that is uh, one of the the coolest things that that anybody probably could do for somebody else. And uh, one of our followers, uh, Tater, saying it's a great way to reunite uh, reignite bonds with father and son. So do you get a lot of that sort of bonding time together, and you feel like you're getting a little closer through this process? Yeah. Yeah, especially, um, you know, we started this at the beginning of the year and we were, you know, we would do some interviews, I would write some up, then I'd come back and we'd do more. Um, So at the beginning of the pandemic, it was a really great reason to continue to stay in touch with my dad Mm -hmm. um, and my Mm -hmm. family in general. And then, you know, it was great. I got to send my brother, my sister, my 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 aunts and uncles, right, copies of the book um, and say, like, I made this with my dad. And so I really do feel like uh, working on a creative project like that brings us together. And it was good because um, my father and I, I probably inherited this from him a little bit. Uh, You know, we like to have control (laughs) over the things that we're doing. But in in this way, the way this project was set up, it was like, I'm going to, you, whatever you say is canon, right? Like, I'm not going to change anything. That's the challenge for me. But then mm-hmm. he doesn't know about D&D, so I get to do whatever I want when it comes to statistics and, and right. uh, you know, relating it to cosmology and things like that. Um, and so uh, so there was a, it was a good way, like, we each had a kind of our separate thing that we were mm-hmm. in charge of, but we were totally collaborating the whole time, too. So, um, yeah, and then when it came out, uh, you know, we, we then had, like, a good two-hour phone conversation about it, about how moved he was by the fact that you know he's he's done all these things with his life he's an older man he's very accomplished um he's good dad uh which i think is a hard thing in this world sometimes um and so uh i give him a lot of uh a lot of credit uh for then being like yeah but now i did this creative thing and that's also fun um so yeah yeah Mm -hmm. he was down and and that was the magic of this really came from him (laughs) has your dad played D &D since then (laughs) uh so yes i did play the the so i had a three-hour session with him uh and my mom and my sister and my wife that included uh just the first encounter where four goblins attack you and lost minds of fandelfer uh so it took a Mm -hmm. while um mostly because my dad was like all right on my turn insert 10 minute monologue that my character now delivers. Uh, <laughs> That's pretty good. Awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. 
Sounds like he was in character, though, so that's that's always a positive. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, so we've we've been talking about all these cool monsters. I really think that maybe we should delve into a few of them. Mm-hmm. Um, cool. As previously, I had asked you, what is your favorite monster out of this entire collection of eighty plus monsters? If I'm not mistaken, right? Right. Something yes. Like what is your favorite yeah. favorite one? And do you want to tell the the audience a little bit about it and why it's your favorite? Yeah, so I think my favorite is um, my dad's version of the gelatinous cube, which is called the Entombalanizer. Um, And uh, so the Entombalanizer is... uh, So so we all know the art of the gelatinous cube, right? It's a big jelly cube that has a bunch of bones and, like, armor and stuff floating in it. Yep. Uh, And so my... uh, It really stumped him. He looked at it, and he was like, I think this is an ice cube right like he was, he was very <laughs> bewildered and he was like and there's a skeleton but like it looks like he used to be a person his whole kind of thing and he essentially reversed the gelatinous cube um yeah. he said i think what this is is this is a block of ice that can absorb the remains of a dead thing and bring it back to life right so oh, from his so cool. point of view yeah it was like this thing it eats dead bodies and spits them back out as people, the, the people they were in life. <laughs> it's uh, like a healing cube. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it is, uh, that was so terrifying to me in, in ways, right? Like, um, and then he sort of came up with this lore that like, they would only do it if you had died uh, via like freezing to death. Um, right. And ah. so they, they would only bring you back that way. And that's, and they were only found in the Arctic. Right. So they were like running over these explorers who had died <laughs> trying to climb mountains or glaciers <laughs> or whatever, bring them back to life. And they'd be like, what? Uh, and, You're welcome. Uh, yep. but then he, he set up this really interesting moral thing that like f- was just for me as a dm i was like oh this is beautiful um was that like so there are you know adventurers know about these creatures and if you have a friend who is dying from something else maybe they've you know got a, a sewer rot or uh whatever <laughs> right um uh you might choose to kill them with cold damage uh like freeze them to death so that then you could use one of these creatures to bring them back to life right i mean and hey. i was like wow that's messed up and i cannot right. believe you're my dad uh <laughs> yes that's pretty if it works yeah, oh, I can totally. Man. I can totally see adventurers like, all right, uh, let's go to the north, create our own little healing healing buildings, and they just got these things like in prison cells where they just drop people after they freeze them to to, to heal them or whatever. That would yeah, be exactly. horrible. <laughs> like wow. that's terrifying when you think about it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man, that's that's what I love about this. That's like, that's not something that I personally would ever thought of, but it's probably because I already had a preconceived notion of what it's supposed to do. Right. And right. it really does follow a great, um, uh, you do, you really did a great job of capturing what he wanted in a, a, a style mecha- a mechanic, which I think must've been really difficult for you. Yeah, yeah. I, I would not know how to write this monster block up for sure. No. <laughs> I'd be like, uh, give me like a week and maybe I'll get a concept for you. <laughs> not yeah, sure how I'm gonna go about this one. Yeah, right. There there were things that it was like, 
oh, okay, this is exactly like this spell with a couple tweaks, right? I'll just borrow the language from this and, and make it work. But then there were things where he was like, so so the Stratonian, which we mentioned earlier, is as big as a mountain, right? Um, that was his, like, and I was like, okay, big as a mountain. That's way more than 50 feet, which is, like, where our Tarrasque is at, right? Yeah, right. Uh, yeah, and yeah. I was like, so what is your reach? What's your melee reach when you're that big, right? And so thinking about things like that, it was like, is this, does this make battle impossible, right? Like, can you right. even fight a creature with reach like this and that kind of thing? So um, it's it's really, really fun to uh to get in there and and uh and have someone who really doesn't understand D and therefore isn't inhibited by it to say like well what about this and you're like okay i told you that i would accept it as true so now i gotta figure out how we make that work <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah. awesome looking yeah, at they... the stratonian real quick yeah it's like range is three thousand to nine thousand <laughs> yeah <laughs> some ballpark you know? question mark <laughs> dave in the chat's like so awesome my players first engaged it several miles away that's yeah. awesome <laughs> yeah that's like this what do you do about this <laughs> yeah yeah bring out the ballista right like, like <laughs> yeah like what do you <laughs> oh my goodness um and everyone in between is like screwed <laughs> yeah like <laughs> Um, oh, that's awesome. So, uh, Ian and uh, Austin, uh, is there any particular monsters you kind of want to uh, talk about in this uh, in this wonderful book? The one that stuck out to me because I love just angels and devils and stuff because it's just kind of my shtick. Uh, <laughs> the because kind of knew what the shadow demon kind of did. Mm-hmm. Donifer is a little bit different. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> because it's well, it's not just any shadow demon. It is like. <laughs> an arc devil <laughs> which yeah. was uh, very oh. fun uh i like the the lore behind it where it's like it wants to just take over a plane and it has like an army that it's trying to amass and it's uh really uh the challenge rating is of course 26 so you know <laughs> it's, it's gonna hurt <laughs> And uh, I always like to look at high CR monsters because whenever I play D&D, I always want to see that, like, epic level, like, stuff. Like, when you start fighting gods and, you know, you're like, I don't know, like, but if I slam this sword into him, is the universe going to break? I'm a little afraid of that. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But, uh, and plus I've been uh, catching up on a bunch of videos about, like, the extra dimensional stuff of D&D which is so much more vast than I thought it would be and that's neither here or ne- here or there but it is uh it's, it's, uh, a, it's, it's a lot it is it is you I, I remember being like this is way beyond Lord of the Rings and super weird uh when I first was uncovering all that <laughs> yeah I love but, the line with this it says this is Donifer he wants to build his own separate hell. That's yeah, right. he's just, like, just kind of vibing <laughs> yep. away from Asmodeus a little bit. <laughs> he's like, well, I'm going to do my own thing. Right. Uh, I love the fact that it changes size. I just thought that was just unique. I don't know. I don't see it very often in d and I don't feel like... Uh, I can't think of anything off the top of my head that does it immediately. Um, but... Kind of like Ant-Man. Yeah. yeah. And it's just... Uh, I like how it has chill touch as like a legendary actor. It's just like, <laughs> and then you're just like, oh my goodness, stop that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, or like the, the light absorption. I like how he can kind of just make it 
one dark around. So I actually had a question for or James about that. So in the yes. light absorption, it says that he can choose to absorb all the light within 60 feet of him. Do you, does that get treated as like a, a magical darkness or can somebody with dark vision still see him or, or how does that work? Uh, that is a great question. So the the answer is that he absor it's his magic absorbing the light, but it's not a magical darkness. So people with dark okay. vision could still see okay. uh, through him. Yeah, yeah. That could, which that maybe sh maybe should right. be a thing that I uh, I believe in playtesting. Initially, it was that um, it was a magical darkness that that he had like just an aura of magical darkness kind of around him. Um, right. but it was still light absorption because that was what my dad had come up with. Um, right, but right. people were like, we really, we're really struggling with Donifer here when <laughs> no one can see him at yeah. all. Uh, and I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> Literally can't see him ever. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> also oh, being able funny. to fly 150 feet is, uh, whew. that's a, fast. Yeah. Uh -huh. yeah. it's a lot. It's a lot. I miss Tater. He just said, Justin usually is in the dark, even with night vision. Thanks for that, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, just so, I'm just so clueless all the time. Oh, Ian, man. did you have a monster? I did. And there's actually one that we mentioned during the pre-show. And the reason why this one stuck to me is the interpretations of all of the creatures we are seeing here are so off the wall, so different, that the bear owl stood out to me because of how similar it was to the yeah. original owl bear. <laughs> <laughs> a bear owl <laughs> yeah yeah uh so yeah some of them right do end up kind of close to what they are and like the bear owl even statistically is very close to the uh owl bear um yeah. i would say the the one difference is they're like you know they're smart yeah um they're right. they don't have they have above animal intelligence and they have this thing about fruit uh they really <laughs> like fruit and it can magically energize them um but other than that it's like yeah it's like this is uh, you could probably make these changes yourself to the owlbear if you wanted to <laughs> i mean it's clearly like an owl like creature and like a bear he just looks at it, he's like i mean i'm not sure exactly if what i'm saying is supposed to be wrong but right I mean, it looks like is your owl -like dad is creature. Is your dad as funny as these come off or? Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I would say he is a um, he's he's like a life of the party type guy. Uh, so uh, he is very gregarious and he's very um, goofy. Uh, so he is uh, like if if you watch a sitcom dad. Um, I would say he's close to a sitcom dad, uh, which he would hate, by the way. Um, he he like hates being compared to sitcom dads all the time. It's like, hey, you stop acting like sitcom dad and then you don't want to be a sitcom dad. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, it's um, not my fault you're like this. <laughs> right, right. So right. I, the last monster I think we're going to talk about, honestly, this is probably one of the single most iconic monsters of D&D. &D. In fact, it's right on the monster manual cover. The Beholder. Would you tell us about the, uh, the a little bit about the... I keep wanting to say crayon. It's it's crayon. Is it crayon? Uh, crayon. Yeah. Crayon. Yeah, so right. okay. like why uh, I so I different. Um, so like yeah. it's crying, but all the time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so this was I did this one with my father first, kind of as like a proof of concept, and put it on my blog. Um, and mm -hmm. the blog version is actually a little little different statistically, but the uh, the story is the same, right? And it's um. 
essentially he looked at them and so the art of the beholder like many of the creatures right there's nothing in there to suggest what size it is if you're just mm-hmm. looking at the art right there's nothing else for scale mm-hmm. yeah. um there's nothing in there uh, if a creature like the beholder doesn't have wings there's nothing that suggests he's necessarily <laughs> flying when you see the art uh, he doesn't have flight and right yeah exactly and so he was like oh so okay so obviously this creature grabs has these like eye stalks and it grabs onto the ground and it uses them like legs to kind of roll itself around um and i was like oh okay okay right like i'm trying not to be like this is amazing right i never would have like you had said justin i never would have come up with this in a million years because I already know what a beholder is, right? Um, <laughs> yeah. Right. That's so funny. And he was like, oh, and I think they're like the size of like a softball or like a grapefruit. You know, like they're that kind of size. And they hang out together. And then like this whole thing about like, you know, they're kind of like uh, gremlins from the movie Gremlins. They they love pranks, mm. but sometimes they take them too far and they end up killing people. Uh, and they really, they have like this contagious, infectious laugh that when they laugh, it makes you want to laugh, like this whole thing. But that also, it like, they're not immune to that. So if one of them laughs, they all start laughing while they're grouped together. And also they're from space, right? Like, And I was like, okay, next one, right? And I'm just like, oh, my, I... This is, I already have too much work to do with one monster. Um, but that's what they are. That's the cryon, right? Is uh, it's, it, the beholder, um, grapefruit size, can't fly with an infectious laugh. Uh, and they're a CR one eighth creature. Uh, you can throw at your party at first level. And they can, you know, like, they're a really fun random encounter that you can throw in mm-hmm. because they don't, you know, they're going to pull pranks and stuff, but they're maybe. You know, maybe they're creatures you decide you want to help. Uh, maybe they are creatures who are like a nuisance, but not enough that you're tr- that they're like, you know, they're hurting you, but they're not killing you. So, what what sort of moral quandary does that put on some players? I mean, like, most players I, would just be like, "We kill it." That's fine. Uh, but. <laughs> yeah, they're just like, "I'm just gonna punt this thing for sport." <laughs> Right, right, exactly. Can I roll an athletics check to see how far it goes? Yeah, (laughs) and then, like, you as a DM can have fun with three hours later, it shows right back up behind you, right? Like, it rolls up. (laughs) I love... It's on, like, the the dinner table. It's just looking at you. I picture, like, a sleeping Amber's new groove when they're much... When Kuzco's in, like, the middle of the Sleeping Panthers, and then this thing rolls in and starts laughing. (laughs) He's like, you... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> i i thought it was very cool that you the the infectious laugh power was pretty cool what i think would be hilarious is i just some of a sudden uh envisioned like thousands of these things migrating and just rolling through a town and yes. everyone is just cracking up they're not i mean they're just rolling through and they're causing trouble on their way through so everyone else shows up the next day I'm like what happened you guys have like a mardi gras party no the cryons <laughs> rolled through it's their annual migration <laughs> oh this, gosh i could tell winter is over they're here <laughs> um overall I, I i really think this book turned out really great um did you do the the layout yourself 
Uh, no. So uh, a guy named Rich Lescaflair, um, who is a very good game designer in his own right, he invented uh, invented. He designed uh, Esper Genesis, <laughs> um, which is a five E sci fi game that people should check mm-hmm. out. Um, oh. uh, uh, and he's he's done a lot of other amazing work for Wizards of the Coast and other places. But he laid this out, um, and and it looks really good. And I also have to shout out um, Hannah Rose. Uh, who uh, who did all of the editing for this and and really did some deep development editing and stuff like that. A lot of these monsters are good because of her work. Um, and then also uh, Daniel Kwan and Leona Maple, who were uh, I had sensitivity readers on this um, because mm-hmm. my dad is an old white guy, and I was like, oh, uh, <laughs> let's make sure that uh, we're not accidentally right uh, offending right. someone. Uh, and they came in and they were like, this is great. We really love it. Um, you know, they had very few notes, which was good, good you know, but uh, but they right. did where they did work. It, man, it really paid off and it was super, super great to, to have them in there. So, uh, so yeah, uh, really great team. <laughs> like, what, like, what was edited exactly in some cases? Know what I mean? <laughs> Oh sure, yeah. So he didn't. I mean, again, nothing, nothing that would be like overtly offensive. Uh, but there, there were a lot of things that, um, you know, because I was putting out some new mechanics. So Hannah really helped with that. Hannah has a very good. Uh, she's a good designer and she's a good editor. Um, and so she's got a strong command of the five E language. And so, like, especially after playtesting, right? Things get updated. There's new versions. Um, she would come in and she would say. Okay, I'm looking at this, and this all works great, except what if this happens, right? Then this will happen, which maybe that's good. Maybe that's what you intend. But if that's not what you intend, we can fix it this way, right? Um, And so there was a lot of of that kind of thing uh, going on there. Um, So, yeah. I think uh, we have one more uh, time for one more question here. Um, Ian, do you want to take that? Uh, The one I got in blue? Yeah. All right. What would you say your favorite part of creating this uh, My Dad's Monster Manual was? <laughs> uh, I think getting to do the work with my dad, right? Sure. Um, and, and getting to sit down and, and do that. Uh, uh, I have to say that because otherwise I seem like a very bad son if I don't. Um, but it's also true uh, that I, I just really, <laughs> really, really enjoyed doing that. And I really enjoyed the challenge of... Um, uh, coming up with the things uh, like trying to design the things that he designed because i sometimes when you design role-playing games you do a lot of ideation right like every time you make a random table it's like all right let me come up with 12 of 12 <laughs> encounters let me come up with 50 ship names let me come up with whatever it is that you're coming up with for tables for encounters for adventures for monsters um right and so it was kind of nice to be able to pass the ideation off to somebody else and then mm-hmm. have it be like i never ever would have thought of this and i'm so glad that i am working on it now that it, i'm working on somebody else's idea <laughs> so that was kind of a cool thing to to be able to do yeah, yeah that's that's awesome it really just like to be able to um take your love and combine it with your dad and and spend that time together that really is a it's a cool thing yeah um, yeah and i do i feel fortunate because i know not everybody has that relationship with their parents right and so uh, right. I, I feel lucky that i was able to do that all right um so before we move on out of our main topic uh i was wondering 
if you have any secret projects you'd be willing to give our listeners a little <laughs> taste of. I know you have to sign NDAs on some stuff. Yeah, yeah. So I, I'll talk about in vague generalities what I what I can talk about. Um, so <laughs> I on the D and D front, uh, MCM we're finishing up Kingdoms and Warfare, which is a big book that adds rules for running your own organizations or countries, uh, uh, and also uh, large scale war battles for D and D five E. That's coming out. I could probably use that. <laughs> I, I think everybody could uh, use that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so look for that. That'll be coming out. Um, I'm working on a 5e magazine. The first issue actually is out called Arcadia through MCDM. Okay. Um, uh, and that we got a lot of cool stuff uh, coming out there. Um, uh, what can cool. I tease? I can say maybe some new elementals will be coming out uh, in there maybe some rules for aerial combat um that kind of thing uh okay. and then uh i'm also working on a, a different game called zweihander which is like D &D, uh, oh in that it's yeah medieval fantasy but it's grim grim dark yes uh, yes uh yes. actually i i see that in uh because i work at barnes and noble and I actually see like he's, it's yes. thick, by the way, too. Like it's it's literally like, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's like a textbook. A, this is great podcast right here that I'm showing the book to you all on camera. Yeah, but, uh, yeah. literally look at that <laughs> thing. Oh um, my gosh, it's a monstrosity. Yeah. Oh. And so this is Player's Handbook, GM's Guide, and Monster Manual all in one. All together. Book, yeah. Right. And um, so I'm working on a, a full length adventure for that, uh, which right. will okay. be okay. Cool. Somewhere in the realm of uh, between two fifty and five hundred pages when it's done. Um, so, because they don't make small books, Zweihander, no. they only make giant books. <laughs> and and, and <laughs> our books only come in one size, way big. <laughs> Element. Every time I walk by the copy in like the local Barn Barnes and Noble, I'm like, this game looks awesome. It sounds awesome, but the problem is, a, I already have a lot of. Uh, games on my shelf I don't play <laughs> as is, let alone stuff that are yeah. this thick. And B, because of that, I've actually kind of become very afraid of very thick RPG books. Because I always feel like the mm -hmm. thick boys I buy always seem to have fall apart. I'm looking at you, Shadowrun 5th edition. Aww. Yeah. Shadowrun. The big thing about Zweihander and Daniel D. Fox, who's the creator of Zweihander, yep. is very passionate about this. Um, it has what's called lay flat binding. Right, oh. uh, which means that the book uh, will lay flat at the table, um, and so it doesn't. It, it, there's less of a chance it's going to fall apart because it's made to be opened. And yeah, giant. it's made. Oh, to oh yeah, that is that. cool. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So, That's some yeah. good quality stuff right there. Yeah, mm. yeah. Taking care yeah. of taking so, care of your concerns. But yeah, um, you can also get I, the uh, the PDF, of course, if yeah. you want to want a digital copy. But I'm also, you know. I understand. There's plenty of D and D to play, right? Like, oh, there's yeah. so right. many things to there's play. A lot of uh, so, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'll be, uh, I'll be excited to be giving your uh, burn bright here a, a shot soon. So, oh, uh, thank you, thank you. Kudos, that kudos warms to my you. heart. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Oh, and uh, here's here's one other secret project that I can talk about in a little more detail because it's just a thing that I am doing with a guy named Rudy Basso, who uh, was my podcast partner in crime. Uh, and is now a, a writing partner in crime. Um, it is a D&D 5th edition module uh, that's very loosely based on Hamlet um, for nine <laughs> players. Uh, and, nine players? 
so it's nine players, but the the thing that makes it unique is like you're not necessarily working together, right? So the DM's mm. job is very much more like being a referee than it is like, uh, hey, here's a monster and now you're all going to fight it, right? And I'm the monster. It's more like you're all backstabbing each other trying to win the module. Um, okay. And so, uh, so and, and the GM's, like it, it's... Yeah, it's for two GMs to run too, because there's like note passing and intrigue, and um, that sounds so we'll awesome. See. We'll see how it works out. <laughs> I got to keep an eye out for that because I'm yeah. I'm a huge person when it comes to political intrigue and stuff. That's some of my favorite favorite level stuff, man. This episode is brought to you by our generous sponsor, the Happiness Question Podcast. The wonderful thing about playing Dungeons and Dragons is that it allows us to escape the difficulties of our lives for a short time. We can take up arms or powerful magics to defend against evils of the world. But after the game, we must return to our real lives. This means the challenges of work, spirituality, relationships, family, and so much more. These challenges can sometimes leave us with a sense of hopelessness, stress, and downright depression. Not only does this sap our energy, but it causes us to miss out on the beauty of the world around us. The Happiness Podcast aims to help its listeners find hope, happiness, and inspiration in the world around them. They feature experts and those who have experienced adversity from all around the globe. The Happiness Question Podcast will help you find happiness even when it doesn't feel possible. You can listen and subscribe to The Happiness Question for weekly hope and inspiration on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, CastBox, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And now, what you've all been waiting for, our Unearthed Tips and Tricks segment, where we bring you new and reusable material for both players and DMs. So, our character concept today is the Survivor of Purgatory. You are the son-slash-daughter of one of the wealthiest aristocrats in your land. You spend much of your time in debauchery. The nature of your parents leaves you wanting for nothing. During a sailing outing with a parent and a love interest, the sibling of your betrothed, on one of your family's large boats, a storm hits, sinking the ship. You, your parent, and a single shipmate manage to make it to a lifeboat. Everyone else is lost. During the time drifting, you see you learn from your parent the secret of your wealth. Uh, Extortion and blackmail. Your parent shares with you your, their regret and asks you to take up the mantle to save your land. Without enough water and food for the three of you, your parent tells you to survive and undo the wrong they have caused, then takes the life of the shipmate and their own life, leaving you to drift for days alone. You finally drift to a strange island, learning to survive without the money you once possessed. You meet a mentor who is also stranded on the island and teaches you everything you need to know to survive and fight. It is then revealed to you that the island is the home of a powerful, evil pirate bandit cultist group. I hope... I, there's slashes in there, but I want it to be that. <laughs> <laughs> they capture and torture you and kill your mentor. With your training, you're able to escape, fight, and hide from them until the day a wandering ship passes by. You manage to contact it, and you are rescued. Now you seek to return home and bring justice to those who have poisoned your land. Who wants to play D&D Arrow? <laughs> 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 this is totally the Oliver Queen story, man. Or some Batman, maybe, too, I guess. Uh, 
I love this concept. I realize we haven't actually done it in any detail. Nope. Um, now, while this is a little straightforward, um, yeah, it is there weird. you can do so much more with the same concept, I think, um, and take it in different directions. Um, the idea that a, a character's personality changes um, before the game starts in this, you know, backstory, or maybe it changes during. Maybe you're play your dm asked you how did you get to this island Mm -hmm. um well here's how and i start off as a a a wealthy asshole with no money (laughs) 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 but uh overall i think this is a fun character concept what kind of uh changes or things would you guys do to 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 bring something like this to life either as an npc or a pc uh the you could even say like uh uh like more of you survive on the mm-hmm. island perhaps so like maybe like the sibling of your betrothed also somehow survives but uh you know like it is or like these other like little details that you could just like kind of like switch around a little bit and it like changes how this npc or player character is going to like view the rest of the world because if one other person survives then they have something that they can still attach their old life to and that'll mm-hmm. kind of create this weird diversity where it's like I could go back, but will I? I guess. I can actually see some a this uh, background being used for the entire party to kick off the entire campaign, even. Yeah, you could. That's what I was just gonna uh, go to. If um, James, if you were the DM and a uh, a player or the party came to you with this idea, um, would you? In let I don't know how much you prepare all your stuff in advance, but if this was brought to you. Uh, would you take this as some sort of uh, way to? Because obviously, this person is interested in the the more of the political intrigue aspect <laughs> and the wrongdoings of others, other than just murder. Um, would you take that information and kind of run with it and help structure your adventures for your party? Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, this is the kind of thing where uh, when I get something like this, it makes my job as a GM easier, right? Because it's like, oh, okay. Uh, you know, you're into political intrigue and you're, you know, you're hunting the people um, that have wronged your family uh, and who have, have wronged you in the past and, and that sort of thing, or the uh, the people that your family has wronged, right? Like, there's a lot of different ways to take it. And I think what I would do is say to the player, this is my thought about where the world is and, and what's taking place. Um, you know, uh, how, can we make this, you know, like, can we get you involved in this way, right? Maybe mm-hmm. these villains that I've thought of are the same villains or they're related in some way to your family. Um, hey, you know, instead of an island, would you be cool with eh, some sort of planar thing? You were sent to Ooh. this plane and your mentor was a slad uh, because uh, uh, the slads I, are going to play it. into it, right? Like, I think collaboration in that way is is great. And I also think that I, I just want to throw out that this is like, the perfect amount of backstory that I want to get from a player, right? <laughs> um, that I I have in the past gotten 30 pages from people. Uh, and I have in the past gotten one sentence. 
Um, and I do, I like getting like enough that we can hang on, but I think we all know this as GMs, right? Is like when you spend a lot of time writing a thing, you want that thing to happen, right? You're like, this dragon encounter is happening no matter what, because I spent two hours on it. Um, (laughs) players are the same way about backstory. So that's why I'm like, well, you're, Mm -hmm. you're more flexible about your backstory if you've put less time into it. And also then we can like. You know, we can integrate other people's backstories, which I think is great. Um, you know, we can Absolutely. say, like, Ian, uh, his character also was on an island. Maybe you were on the same island, right? Yep. And, and so that's cool. I love it. And and that's uh, – I agree with you. I, I fleshed this one out a little bit more than I normally do just mm-hmm. because I thought that – I wanted to hear your your take on how you would take a back uh, a character story. So mm-hmm. thank you so much for sharing that with us. Um, that really uh, normally it would be about half that length. <laughs> yeah, sure. Which is also there's great. A, one less paragraph. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah. You know that's um, the thing. It's like shorter. Shorter is always better. Players, if you're worried about your backstory. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Give a couple bullet points and you're good to go. Yeah, All right, honestly. I think that'll do it for our character concept. Our monster variant of the podcast is the Ink Glider. Um, if you don't know our monster variants, we take a stat block from the monster manual and we make some alterations, give it different flavor, different story, a la my dad's monster manual. <laughs> but it's maybe no. Okay. All right. So uh, <laughs> what we're going to do is we're going to start with the origin, the V-Rock. You're going to get rid of its speech, its telepathy, its beak, its talons, its spores, and now it's going to uh, become a beast with an intelligence of three so now we got this kind of done floating uh tentacle thing right he dumb now uh we gave it uh the creature's gonna become huge we're gonna give it the the hover and it's gonna have a ground speed of 15 because you know we want a flying octopus here we don't want it can't move very fast on the ground right we're going to give it a new tentacle attack, um, and on a hit, the tentacles can grapple somebody. The target is restrained. It has eight tentacles, so it can hold up to eight pe- t- uh, people, which hey. means your entire party could potentially be... Um, restrained. Gra- yeah. Uh, I was trying to yeah. think of some funny pun, but just nothing hit me. <laughs> um, so... That's only where it partially gets interesting. My favorite thing is I took the Kraken's fling ability and attached it to my ink glider. So now it can throw something 40 feet in a random direction and knock it prone. If it throws each, each adventurer into each other, it does, of course, the every 10 feet does to, uh, D6 in damage. So once again, not only are you throwing people and they're falling prone, you're throwing people at the people and they're falling prone. Yeah. Um, and, and then, of course, last but not least, I had to make sure that it had some sort of, you know, ink, you know, splooge thing because that's what octopus does. Well, this one flies, so it's going to be more like a spore cloud. So we call it the ink spore cloud, and it's a 50-foot radius cloud that, you know, extends out from around the ink glider and spreads around corners and all that jazz. Um, And if the creature fails its con save, not only is it poisoned, but the area is also heavily blurred, so now it's poisoned and can't see. (laughs) Um, And, of course, the targets can uh, 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 repeat saving throws to break free. What do you guys think about this this tormenting flying octopus? This sounds like this would be a pain to deal with, <laughs> especially up close. Which I think is the idea, but I do love the. I'm just gonna take this guy and throw him at that guy. Yeah, and you're just gonna whip him at him, and he, the other guy's like, "Oh my god, that's a person flying at me." <laughs> that's what my do you friend, think, James. 
so I'm a big fan of this. I think one thing that can happen a lot in monster design is we can over-design, right? Mm -hmm. Instead mm -hmm. of designing a couple quality features. And these are some quality features. Uh, so uh, <laughs> I think more creatures should have fling. I am I am personally mm -hmm. pro fling. Um, so uh, yeah, I want to get tossed around, dude. I love yeah. being a player and just getting thrown somewhere. <laughs> it's such a cinematic thing that we see all the like we see Captain America fling people. You know what I mean? Like it's it's constantly we're constantly throwing people in movies, uh, and we should be doing more throwing people in D. Day. Oh yeah. Uh, so I agree. Yeah, yeah. I, so I'm, I'm big on that. Yeah. I was like, I feel like the closest you'll ever get to that is a region barbarian grab somebody, and he now has an mm -hmm. improvised weapon. <laughs> Just saying. Right. <laughs> yes. Yes. We should have more rules for throwing people into other people as a weapon. I agree. <laughs> and we can use like the how like the every ten feet like they're thrown they take another like d6 and like uh. One of my, uh, I forgot where I heard the rule from, but like, uh, when like, uh, you do something like some form of like telekinetic push or something, we'll say, right? And they like land into a wall. Well, they had, there's going to be some force when they hit that wall, right? <laughs> so like, I want to, I like that, uh, where they can take like, oh man, how much extra force were they supposed to go? Because they're supposed to go through that. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, it. A wall stopped them. <laughs> Get, um, actually, I remember like the game that took flings up to eleven was Champions, where basically if you yeah. hit somebody with enough damage, they will fight backwards, which created a bunch of really chaotic maps and hijinks. And I think the most extreme reaction I saw was I was playing an ice character, and there's an enemy who's a flyer. I shot him with my ice beam, and it knocked him backwards, and knocked him backwards just right over an open missile silo. Which is firing a missile. <laughs> the guy hit the missile. The DM rolled. The part where he he hit the missile was its fuel tank, which then exploded. And I'm like, well, that just happened. We we, we need more rules on flinging people, apparently. Yeah. Because yeah. that is awesome. Like, that's this, so this that's is so fun. And you're right. You, we that. do see it all the time in movies. You really are right about that. Like, yeah, you always see like the Hulk just taking somebody, and they just into a skyscraper. They go, <laughs> like, yeah, uh, just, man. All right, uh, I think that'll do it for our ink glider. Um, if you do like this sort of thing, please consider becoming a patron. Every uh, week, I take these and I make them into full page stat blocks with lore and history and stuff you can feed to your players for knowledge checks that they do. So consider uh, checking us out over there at patreon.com slash crit academy. Yeah. All right. Uh, Ian, would you like to tell us about our encounter of the podcast? Why, certainly. Our encounter of the podcast is, okay, change your plans. Unforeseen circumstances have turned Aiden Aldred, a veteran, a local noble, Nam Zero Nokri, Closest ally inside the Shadow Fang Steve's Guild into a liability. Nam Zero is looking to hire adventurers in secret to kill Aiden. Frame the Vultures Guild, led by Etar Hezru, a bandit captain, and suggests that Aiden's murder was accomplished with the aid of an enemy inside the kingdom or a noble house. Nam Zero has given you a location and time where she believes Aiden out to be in public. The characters can use this opportunity to spy, gather info on Aiden's defense, and follow him. When they find an opportunity, 
ambush him and bring back proof the task has been accomplished. There was a lot of proper nouns in this encounter. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. And they're, they're randomly generated names, so they're not exactly easy to pronounce either. No. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, James, what do you think about this encounter? You're the master uh, encounter designer. Uh, I'd love to hear uh, your thoughts. I don't know if I deserve that title, but uh, but I will take it. I accept. <laughs> um, I think that, so. Again, this is great, and this is right up my alley. We've been talking about political intrigue all night here, um, and I think right this idea that uh, there's a lot of different ways that you can go with this encounter. And what I love about uh, encounters that have setups like this is it's like here's the objective, here's the stuff that's going on. You as the players get to decide how you're going to tackle this, right? It feels very... Um, Absolutely. As, yeah, it feels very Assassin's Creed in that way. It's like, yeah, you could <laughs> just go in and mess up all the guards and, you know, kick down the door, uh, but you're going to have a harder <laughs> time if you do that. Right. Um, you might disguise, you might stealth your way through, uh, and, and so there's a lot of different ways you could get in here uh, and, uh, and mess with people, and so I really uh, like that there are different ways of accomplishing this. Um, yeah. so, uh, yeah. Uh, and I'm always, yeah. I'm a big fan of, of framing people. Uh, oh yeah. Yes. Uh, as a and, thing. And that's the thing that one of the things I, I mentioned earlier, how much I love political intrigue stuff. And this is one of those things where there's a lot of tools that are part of like just the, the, the backgrounds that can come into place in, uh, the, the charlatan lets you like, uh, imitate people maybe, or it gives you the forgery kit. I forget which one, but all those little tools that aren't usually used, uh, a soldier's background might give them clout to leverage getting in somewhere. You know, all those different things can come into play in something like this. And I was going to say, I know the noble background, you would just be like, um, excuse me, but I deserve to be here. You need to move. And they're going to be like, Oh, I'm sorry, sir. So uh, I'll move. Just don't, yeah. don't take my money. <laughs> you could take that even a step further, too, because the noble background, they probably go to these court, you know, balls or whatever, and they could spread some of these seeded rumors to get stuff started. Oh, yeah. Get the ball rolling at the ball. I think what's great about these, right, are like you really have an opportunity to do um, interesting legwork scenes where people are like setting things mm-hmm. up. Um and uh, I, for situations like this, what I like to do is like, okay, every each one of you is going to get a legwork scene where you tell me about like how you're setting things up, and you can bring other characters into your legwork scene with you, so it's not just oh, you. Oh, I um, love that. Mm-hmm. But and then you can do things like that and set things up. So then when you go in, it's like, okay, now we're we're in there and we're rolling, right? And we've got the like, uh, it sort of settles the the. 30 minute arguments of like, well, we should do this. No, we should do this. No, we, and it's like, okay, well you, you're going to go set up yours. You're going to go set up yours. You both need the cleric. You can both bring the cleric and then whichever (laughs) one plays out. So be it. Right. Uh, And it's, that's kind of fun then to, to have that going on. That made me think of, I forget what the RPG is called, but one of the game mechanics that it built into it is, Essentially, you, let's say you start the assassination, but they incorporate flashbacks in there. So yes. When players then on the spot recaps how they set up the, th- the scene so they can proceed forward with the current heist, assassination, what have you. But I can't remember what it's yeah, called. Yeah, I know Blades in the Dark does that. That's it. Um, That's it. Yeah, yeah. I'm right. Yeah, that where you, there's a... 
which is great because then you jump right in, right? You don't have any planning in Blades in the Dark. You jump in and you say, like, here's a resource you can spend to have a flashback to talk about how you set things up, which is a great way to do it. <laughs> that is very Ocean's Eleven style. Right. I love it. I got to check that out because that is cool yeah. as hell. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> we, we need to get into Castle. We approach a guard. Now, remember, the guards are checking, checking on the way in. Yes, but yesterday... I met the guards in the bar, and I paid them extra money, and they hit off off of them because they got, got, got them good drinks. Cut to present. Hey, Dave, we had a great time last night, didn't we? <laughs> I love that. Oh my gosh, awesome. I, I that to, sounds I, really cool. I need to actually. pick that up. Um, all right, I what think we got blades a lot of blades of darkness. Blades in the dark. Yeah, there's a lot blades of really good things okay. about it. Uh, that I'm gonna have to great, pick that up. Great heist I'll sounds like some good inspiration there for my political intriguing love for self. Yeah. Uh, all right. Okay. I think that'll do it for our encounter of the podcast. Change of plans. James, would you do the honor and tell us about our magic item today? Yes, our magic item today is the Fay bread. Uh, the Fay bread biscuit. Uh, this hard but tasty fruit-filled biscuit enhances your recuperative powers and increases your strength and stamina for a short while after consumption. Yeah, it's a wondrous item that is uncommon, uh, and uh, it is delectable and magic-infused fruit-filled bread that is found in a small leaf wrapping. There's enough bread for one use. When you spend one minute eating the bread, you gain advantage. Advantage on both strength and constitution. Additionally, you gain 2d6 temporary hit points. These effects last for up to one hour. Spells such as dispel magic or similar effects will end the magical effect. Uh, so that is your Fey Bread Biscuit. What I thought of when I read this was, what if the druid took the chef background and uses good berries to make this? You trying to break my stuff, bro? No. <laughs> it's already hard enough to make these not broken. <laughs> He's <laughs> like, well, since I can this biscuit, why don't I just stuff some broken berries inside of it too? <laughs> no, no, no. I'm saying, I'm saying the druid used the good berries to make this item because <laughs> mixing like fruit in there. Oh my gosh, be healing. Um, I really like this item. Uh, I love consumables, as you guys well know. I'm a fan of consumables and things that I can give to you that are temporary. I totally borrowed this. <laughs> concept 100% from a fourth edition consumable magic item and oh, cool. while I did take the one of the fifth edition spells and applied to it I really think that things like this are a great way for the DM to give out rewards without worrying about it you know imbalancing the game for any specific length of time um James do you have any uh, thoughts on this item yeah, I mean, I think, so I love to give my players magic items. Uh, it makes me feel like I am a generous person without spending any money, right? Um, uh, but I, I really do, and I, I and they love to get them. And so I, I agree with you about consumables. Uh, if you love to give your players stuff, consumables are a great way to go, because then you're not like, oh, you're level four and I'll have Vorpal Swords. How did this happen? Um, but I also, this <laughs> how did item, I do this? Why did I right. do this? <laughs> uh, uh, what I like about this item is this is an item you're not going to take, uh, in the middle of battle, right? Because it, it takes mm -hmm. a minute to eat. Um, and so what I, I like that because you're going to make the decision of like, I really, we're going through some physical stuff where I'm going to be making strength and constitution checks and saving throws. And I also want the benefit of these temporary hit points. Uh, like let's all eat a tart together before we go into battle. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, like I love the the image of like okay, let's for a minute 
We're just going to all sit here and quietly eat this fruit-filled bread and have a great time before we do some crazy physical stuff. Uh, and I think that really speaks to the magic in D&D, right? Like, mm-hmm. that, like, yeah, we're all going to eat a, a McDonald's apple pie, uh, and then we're going to have a great friggin' time <laughs> killing some Gymnastics. Yeah. yeah. Oh, my gosh. I can totally just see my players, and I'm looking at both of you and everyone else that's part of it. <laughs> Walking up to the villain's big bad dorm, like, all right, guys, before we open this door, let's sit down and have our biscuits. The boss yeah. just opens the door. What the hell are you doing? Or he's looking by, he's like, yeah, well, hold on, wait, wait, wait. We're all, we're gonna fight. There's no getting around that. But I want a biscuit, just real quick. Yeah. Give him just, just real biscuit. quick. <laughs> Yeah, like you're, you know, and and it's great too because once they know it, you can use that as a GM. Like, yeah, you see the elves are are coming in to throw down, and they're like wiping berries off their, you know, crumbs and stuff are on their clothes. Like, oh, oh they're jacked. They just ate that bread. <laughs> like Popeye when he eats his spinach. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You like, see, like this shit. this like bigger elf, and he's all like just chiseled, and he's like shirtless. And you're just like, oh man, that guy's yoked. <laughs> Do you ever, uh, was it uh, when, in Dragon Ball Z when they eat the senzu beans and they're wearing their shirts and they get like buff and then the shirt just rips off? They're like, oh my God, I never felt better. <laughs> um, all right. Oh, I man. I think that'll do it for our magic item, the Fey Bread Biscuit. Yes. Our, <laughs> our dungeon master tip is victory charts. Anybody that listens to the show or has been following for any length of time, I am a huge fan of 4th Edition. In fact, a lot of the stuff that I take inspiration from is a lot of the great mechanics. You mentioned, uh, James mentioned skill challenges earlier. That's why I wrote skill challenges. I converted those old concepts into 5th Edition. And uh, this victory chart is one of my favorite things I found in a uh, in one of the old dungeon magazines I was reading because... Apparently, that's all I have time. I got plenty of time to read, I guess. I <laughs> <laughs> so, um, we're going to talk victory charts. So, combat with monsters can sometimes fall um, to kind of just numbers and abilities uh, as the game kind of progresses, especially when you have lots of little minions. Um, Cobalt specifically yeah. are the ones, or goblins are the ones that I have a lot of, right? So, when running lots of little monsters, it's easy to forget to give them a little bit of personality. Now, you may not do this, but I do. So... Creating a simple victory chart is a really great way to do that. And in this this magazine, I found this Cobalt victory charts. Now, I tweaked it a little bit to better fit um, the, the fifth edition for those things that mattered. But um, in this victory chart, uh, right now, this one in our show notes is only one through six. But there is a D20 one you can pick up for free on the, the website at GregGemmy.com. So um, on this victory chart, you got these different effects. So when... A uh, uh, an enemy, in this case a kobold or a goblin, drops a foe. They are so prone to outbursts of glory and excitement, sometimes they just can't hold it back. So you roll on this thing, and if you get a three, it says the kobold stands atop the fallen victim's body and spends the next round delivering a victory speech. Speech. All allies can hear and gain temporary hit points equal to the adventurer's level plus its charisma modifier. <laughs> I kind of like. What do you guys personally. think about this? I love number four. <laughs> Wait, this worked? This never works. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it says, what's it say? Whoa, that's never happened before. A kobold is in complete <laughs> shock at the technique that it made up actually worked. It's stunned <laughs> until the start of his next turn, shocked by its own success. <laughs> it's just staring at its hands and it's just like, I did this. <laughs> what do you think, James? I love it. It's very cinematic. Um, and this is, these are the moments that 
like get talked about when we read books uh, comic mm-hmm. books and watch movies mm-hmm. and stuff right like this is han solo that that whoa moment is han solo using chewie's bowcaster for the first time right in the force awakens <laughs> when he turns around and he's like i'm gonna get me one of these um and so <laughs> yeah and it really does individualize like you're gonna remember that kobold who juiced yep. up all the other kobolds after he dropped the plate? <laughs> right, like that's a <laughs> that is a moment that your players will forever remember and be like, "Oh man, that kobold!" Right, like Corey the kobold, what a jerk, Corey. Um, yeah, and, and so can't I, believe he did that. Yeah, yeah, I am very pro this chart. This is so awesome. <laughs> Uh, I give one more shout out to the, the, the sixth one on here is fear me on the regular chart. It's on the D 20 when you roll the 20 and it says the cobalt believes itself to be unstoppable juggernaut. It's face grimaced body breathing heavily. It shouts out at the adventures that they cannot defeat it. Boiling, uh, a boiling strength rages inside and it gains the barbarians rage feature. Um, and uh, when it makes attack rolls or saving throws, it can add a D4 uh, to the number rolled. Um, so it's just turbo kobold. Oh, yeah. <laughs> He's running. He's like, I'm going to kick an adventurer's ass today. <laughs> yes. It's like, I got one down, few more to go. <laughs> uh, so, uh, but like I said, that's uh, there's a, you can get the full chart over at the website in the free fat loot that's section. Um <laughs> All right, I think that'll do it for the uh, Dungeon Master tip victory charts. Our player tip of the podcast is... Don't be a dick! And you can avoid dickitude by mastering that arcane teachings polyblast. Now, I need to preface this with... Somebody informed me this may not work exactly the way I think it does, but we're going to have a nice little debate on that, because I... I think it works that way, but I'm also not smart. So, <laughs> so uh, polymorph is pretty much uh, 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 is pretty strong in a handy fourth level spell. If you don't know what it does, it basically lets you transform a creature into another creature for an hour. Now you really get to choose that you know type of creature, right? Um, and j- in this case, let's say a squirrel, right? One hit point can't do a whole lot. If you combine that with the disintegrate now squirrel one hit point. If you decide uh, and you d- then hit that squirrel with the sixth level disintegrate. That pretty much lets you instantly destroy whatever creature that had been. Um, Cause to my understanding, at least at the time when I put this together was that the dis- disintegration spell says when you hit zero hit points, it doesn't say it, if it's it rolls over and you take a new form or anything. Um, so then if the target manages to s- fail both saves, poof, they're gone. Um, mm-hmm. Now, to my understanding, Ian, you said you found something that it doesn't work exactly that way? No, and to be fair, it used to work that way. And they even clarified that in the Sage's Compendium, but then they updated the Sage's Compendium, and they flipped it around. And the example they use, what, actually, they give two examples. The first one is, like, with uh, Half-Works, for example, their Relentless Endurance will kick in and negate the disintegration effect, because their health is being reset back to one. And it also does mm. stipulate that while wild shape, the damage w- will continue into their previous regular form too. And like I said, this so is how it is now. That's not how it was in the past. But they made changes. So what then. you're saying, as long as your DM doesn't have the Sage Compendium, you're okay. That's what I just heard. <laughs> Get, well, even James, before, you, well, even before the entry, I saw players when I did, did some research just to double check this, go back and forth on a, on a big time, and they made firm arguments both ways, both. Raw and 
and rules as intended, so. Mm. Yeah. What do you think about this, James? You ever encountered something like this? So this is, uh, it's, I mean, I've encountered things like this, certainly. Um, I don't, I, this particular polyblast thing, this is actually the first time that I am hearing about it, and I am shocked that it is the first time I am hearing about it, uh, because, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I, I it's funny, uh, while we were talking, I did a, a quick search, and it does seem like wizards intentionally updated the text to deal like specifically with this problem and disintegrate. <laughs> yeah. Um, but the way Jeremy Crawford commented on it was we made it more polite, which makes me think that at first they were like, no, disintegrate should absolutely kill you. And when you drop to zero, but like, this is how this spell works and we're not apologizing for it. Right. Um, right. I kind of love that interpretation of it. Me, me too, because um, if you think about it, any any creatures that first of all they got to fail two, um, right, two saving throws, and most creatures that you wouldn't want this to happen to anyway probably have some sort of legendary resistance anyway. Right, so right. and and a probably very high saving throw bonus too. So you know, even to mm-hmm. begin with, for them to have to use legendary resistance, it might be a long shot. Yeah, right. right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, but, anyways, it's the more you know, because I didn't know that when I was looking through my player's handbooks. <laughs> and uh, here's what I just want to say. Justin, I would totally let you kill monsters this way in my game. So <laughs> Thank you, James. I appreciate that. I would yeah. feel really good. Even if you turned around See, and said, just so you know, I'm not going to let you do that again. But, man, you kicked that boss's ass. Yeah, <laughs> See, that's the thing, right? Like, it, it makes sense. It, it, like I don't know, like uh, I could see the argument for both ways too, and that's just where I'm kind of like. I mean, I'm not gonna harp on you two either way. Like you want it to work that way, works for me, makes sense. Yeah. You don't want it to work that way, yeah. Well, this table decides not to make it work this way. That's right. up to them. I mean, I do think it is worth mentioning so. though. Overall, though, that polymorph is a powerful spell, and especially if you make something a really weak creature, it now has its stats, which means it is that much easier to screw around with. The example yeah, I yeah. gave in the past is, in one of our games, we polymorph a white dragon, an adult white dragon, into a squirrel, and then we just pick it up, open up a bag of holding, drop it inside, close it shut. Right, yeah, because then it <laughs> suffocates, right? And so there's there's a lot of different ways that, and, and like, you're screwed then if you suffocate, because you're dying. So I, there's just so many, so many ways that you could do this. Um, and I do think, like, there's a fair number of creatures that if you polymorphed into a squirrel and then hit with a disintegrate would die anyway from the damage that right. carries over. Um, right. And so, like, I... When we get into the, like, you're wasting a a fourth and a sixth level spell slot to do this. Mm -hmm. Um, There's, I think, I bet we could sit here and think of many combinations of fourth and sixth level spells that would kill most creatures, (laughs) right? (laughs) For sure, Uh, for sure. This is based on damage output. (laughs) Okay, you him with polymorph, I'll him with flesh of stone. Go. (laughs) Right, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Uh, so. All right. Yeah. Uh, that that was a lot. That was great. I was I was concerned when he said, "Well, it doesn't think it works that way." I was like, "Eh, my player book says it's okay." <laughs> Anyways, so uh, I think that'll do it for our player tip of the podcast. Don't be, be a, a dick. dick, and you can avoid <laughs> dickitude by using polyblast if your DM will let it fly. I guess. <laughs> I kind of feel like I I cheated my 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 listeners now with a player tip that may only work at some tables. That's okay. <laughs> 
Uh, oh, well, before we close out today, uh, once again, we have another wonderful gift to give away. Compliments of our sponsors. This giveaway, once again, comes from Jeff Stephen Games and his module Scourge of the Nightingale, Part 1, A Song of Love. A masked menace terrorizes the region. The adventurers stumble into her scheme, the kidnapping of a famous performer known as Devin Artis. Their mission is to deliver a ransom and collect Devin. And our winner today for this adventure is... Hinkley PM. Now, if you didn't win, no problem. Head over to Crit Academy and subscribe to our newsletter for your chance to win. Wonderful. Um, I first of all want to say thanks to everyone that joined us. James, thank you so much for coming. Uh, before we close out, do you want to uh, give yourself one more plug where people can find you, where they can uh, swing in and check out more of your content? Yeah, so I'm over at uh, jamesintracasso.com, uh, uh, worldbuilderblog.com, uh, where you can sign up for a mailing list. I, I did sometimes give discounts on stuff if you sign up. Uh, and I'm over in Twitter, at jamesintracasso. Uh, so uh, just search my name. I'm pretty much the only one of me out there. Uh, so, yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Um, but I just want to say thank you again so much for coming on. Um, oh, it really thank was you a for blast. having me. This was so much fun. Really great. <laughs> I'm glad you enjoyed it. We I had a blast too, and I think maybe these two might have. It's hard to tell sometimes. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, with that, <laughs> please join us on our next episode. We will be discussing Volo's complete subrace handbook. We'll have a special guest, a very popular TikToker named Alex Baum. So. Um, please come and make sure to join us uh, next Sunday at 7 p.m. Eastern um, on YouTube, Facebook, Twitch, whichever platform tickles your dice. If you enjoyed the show and you'd like to support us, make sure to follow us on social media and leave us a review as well. And before we sign off, we did have a couple of, one or two times in chat where Taylor asked, where is the best place to buy your stuff, James? <laughs> Oh, uh, well, thank you. Uh, yes, uh, if you head over to uh, worldbuilderblog.com, I've got links to some of my stuff on the products page there that you can check out. Uh, and also search me on the DMs Guild. Uh, you can see, find things there um, and, and drive through RPG. Yeah. Wonderful. I am your host, Justin. And I am your guest, James. I'm your co-host, Ian. I'm your co-host, Austin. Thanks for listening. Keep your blades sharp and spells prepared, heroes. Mm-hmm.